are second grade or younger and you're still with us, you're welcome to head down to Children's Church right now, second grade and younger. Should have teachers waiting for you down there. And if you're third to seventh grade and with us, we've got a treasure seeker binder for you in the back if you're interested in that. Take some notes. Let's pray. Father, obedience to all the commands of Jesus, which is what you say in the Great Commission, Lord Jesus, Matthew 28, 20, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Obedience to all the commands of Jesus is simply impossible apart from close relational proximity to other believers. We can't obey you without the opportunity to lock arms with brothers and sisters to our right and to our left. We certainly need you primarily, but we need each other secondarily and in a big, big way. I pray that you'd help us to unfold one simple verse of scripture. Simple doesn't mean not deep. It is very deep waters, but this isn't hard to understand. Where there's no guidance, the people falls, but in an abundance of counselors is safety. Help us to see how this might wonderfully apply to our community group ministry as we think about the application of this series in soul care and to the life of this church. Come now, Lord Jesus, we pray, and, and give us help through the presence of your Spirit as we open our Bibles. Grant us the gift of illumination and teach us. May we meet with the risen Christ now. In his name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we began the home stretch of our sermon series on a biblical vision for soul care in the local church. We have uh, three final steps that we want to try to take as we apply this series and bring it to a close. Uh, these are steps of application, as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, where we are going to attempt to put the cookies on the bottom shelf where we can all reach them. Last week, we looked at the basic 24-hour rhythm that every Christian ought to have. And what we mean by that is personal devotions, quiet time, drawing near to God so that you may be able to hear from him and he may hear from you, And we focused on the role of scripture in our lives, praying over scripture, meditating on scripture, taking maybe one thought or one verse with you throughout the day, and then doing that day after day. So prayer, meditation, and scripture in a growing Christian's life. These are the, this is the baseline. This is the essential backbone that every biblical counselor, read every Christian, to have. By God's grace for the glory of Jesus Christ, the point last week was even you can become a biblical counselor. You say, me? Yeah, even you. You can really bring help and hope to others in their suffering and in their sin. The first thing to think about is to make sure that you're, you're keeping with you and caring with you at all times the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. We have hit this relentlessly over the past couple of months. Five keys that if you 
are holding, you are already equipped and competent to counsel. Seek to understand other people. Labor to appreciate other people. <laughs> Come to empathize with other people. You see what I'm weak on. Fourth, confess you're a whole lot like other people. And then finally, counsel God's word to people. So those are the five keys. And with those five keys in hand, we learned Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 is how we keep the fresh breezes of God's spirit blowing across our souls day after day. There are three practices here. We said give God your ears, give others his words, and repeat steps one and two every day. Isaiah 50, verse 4, ought to be memorized by each of us. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So, what's next? If we're going to become a church increasingly rich and wise in the care and cure of souls, if we're going to grow steadily in our convictions and in our competencies as it relates to biblical counseling, what's the next step that we take as a congregation to realize that goal? If the first step is become a biblical counselor yourself, then the next step is related to becoming a community of biblical counselors together. Now, we don't do this on Sunday mornings. Or maybe that is what we do on Sunday mornings. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? There's no doubt that Sunday mornings are vital to the life of any church. Wouldn't seek to minimize that. Uniquely, to, to gather to hear the public preaching of God's word, to lift up the name of Jesus in song and prayer and financial giving to celebrate the Lord's Supper. These are incredibly important. Furthermore, our 9 a.m. hour where we meet for Sunday school, adult education that we affectionately call Mound Free U, it's incredibly important. I believe very deeply, foundationally, in the pursuit of uh, the corporate worship gathering as well as uh, Sunday school, classroom-level education. That, that makes a difference in our mission to be and make disciples of Jesus. I am dogged about my commitment to the calling of the pastor-teacher, Ephesians 4.12. We mentioned that earlier. So Sunday mornings are huge. We don't want to minimize the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it's true, as you look around any given Sunday, that the weekly attendance of some among our number may suggest otherwise. Sunday morning gatherings aren't optional for us as a church. It's, it's the first thing that we do. They are essential. However, Sunday morning is the tip of the discipleship iceberg. Sunday morning is the rallying cry for the mission, but by itself is a far cry from the sum total of the mission. Though our Sunday morning gatherings are essential, they're, they're not enough. 
Therefore, the quality of the soul care in our community groups matters greatly. That's the big idea today. Though our Sunday morning gatherings are essential. They're essential. They're just not enough. Therefore, the quality of the soul care in our community groups matters greatly. So let's just, we'll get this out on the table. That the Bible never commands anyone anywhere to join a community group. Can we just be honest about that? Let's just give way to that, okay? There's no text that says that. Thou shalt sign up for a community group once yearly. No Bible verse even remotely along those lines. (laughs) However, there is no command in Acts chapter 2 along those lines. But we are commanded to love one another with brotherly affection. That's a command. Romans 12, 10. We are commanded to confess our sins to one another. James 5, 16. We are commanded to pray for and with one another. James 5.16, Acts 2.42 is an example of that. We are commanded to offer hospitality to one another. And you know, Peter has the gall to say without grumbling in that command. Because he knows. He was married too. Trying to get the house ready, right? For folks to come over. 1 Peter 4.9. Those are just a handful of the one another's of the New Testament. That's the tip of the iceberg of the tip of the iceberg of the one another's of the New Testament. But those four commands alone would warrant community groups in the life of the local church. If that's all there were, and that's not all there is. Romans 15, 14 tells us we are competent to counsel one another. J. Adams' translation, but it's a good translation. You're able to instruct one another. You're comp- you can do this. You're, you're competent to counsel one another. Where do we do that? Or along the lines of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All that case sensitivity in counseling. How do you do that? Where do you do that? On Sunday morning from 10.30 to 11.45? Really? I mean, can you imagine asking Paul that question? Like, Paul, look, man, I know there's 168 hours in the week. I know that. So if I toss like 75 minutes at this thing, is that going to do it? Is that, will I get you off my back? Isn't that enough? Does that tick the box here? Answer? No. It's not enough. Not even close to enough. Suffering, depression, anxiety, addiction, sexual sin, everywhere. Anger off the charts. 75 minutes a week? not enough. Because though we sin on Sunday morning, boy, isn't it true? We sin on Sunday morning. We sin on Sunday morning. We do sin on Sunday morning, but most of our sinning ain't done on Sunday morning. Really, the other 166 hours and 45 minutes during the week, that's when the wheels tend to fall off the wagon. Amen? 75 minutes is not enough. So our Sunday morning gatherings are essential. They're just not enough. Therefore, the quality of the soul care in our groups matters greatly. And with your Bible open to the text that Caleb read, let's do this. Proverbs 11, 14. First of two points today. Point number one. To imagine that you don't stand in need of biblical counseling 
is as foolish as it is dangerous. To imagine that you don't stand in need of biblical counseling is as foolish as it is dangerous. Proverbs 11, 14, first half. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. Now, in context, considering the vocabulary of, there's not a whole lot of vocabulary here, guidance, people, and falls, my best guess is that the initial application was not for community groups. My best guess is that the initial application of this was at the national level for Israel and the other nations on the earth. Or maybe the city or the state level. I think King Solomon is circling the issue of strategic wisdom in the sphere of the government. This may even have military overtones to it, what the commentators are telling me. It's a political text. Where there's no guidance, a people falls. Guidance here, by the way, assumes wise guidance. It just, it just completely assumes that. Without it, things fall apart. Now, you can have rotten guidance, truth be told. Many have been the point leaders of nations, and many are the point leaders of nations today, that are absolutely driving their people into the ground. Just because there's a hand on the wheel doesn't mean it's going to guide you safely home. Don't you get that sense as you read that this author assumes that the guidance here in question is good guidance? Just assuming that. Don't be naive about that, but he's, he's assuming good kind of guidance here. There is such a thing as a blind guide. At the national level, we have vocabulary for it. It's somewhat controversial today, but if you were to Google the phrase failed state, we'd be cooking with peanut oil at this point. Failed state. One resource I read said that a failed state is a state having been perceived as failing at some basic condition and responsibility of a sovereign government. So, loss of territorial control. Like, you get invaded and you can't keep out enemies. Or erosion of authority to make collective decisions together as a group. Or inability to provide basic public services to your people. Or inability to interact and play nicely with other states that are around you as a full member of the international community. Now, before a state fails, and there's a whole lot of failed states that are on a, a big list these days, uh, today, um, before a state fails, there's a precursory category known as a fragile state. A fragile state. That would be a state that hasn't failed yet, but let's just say the report card has a whole lot of Ds on it and incompletes. And I know you're wondering about concrete examples of failed and fragile states This sermon isn't about national concerns. It's a sermon about local church concerns. And I think it's possible that churches can be examples of failed states. I think it's possible and probable and likely that some of our community groups over the years, perhaps some currently, are fragile on their way to failing. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you don't think you stand in need of biblical counseling... You're as much a fool as you are in great danger. Where there's no guidance, a people falls. 
So the guidance here in verse 14 is surely wise guidance. In fact, you can, you can get that from the language here and the context, but it's as early as Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So Proverbs eleven fourteen assumes that the guidance and counsel here are wise counsel and guidance. So the text is saying that without us, this sort of constant diet of discerning, sage, judicious input into each of our lives, we just collapse. We stumble, we trip, and we fall. The idea here is that I require guidance as a steady state reality in my life. Not just when the wheels fall off the wagon of my life, right? Too many times people end up in counseling because they've failed to take seriously that counseling is a lifestyle. This sort of guidance shouldn't be like a punctiliar kind of one-and-done deal. Like, I'm going to go get some counseling and fix this thing. It's not the way that wisdom works. We are serious about life transformation in this church. So serious that we are in the initial planning stages of offering a full-scale counseling center underneath the roof of this building. Now, more on that vision next week. But suffice it to say at this point, whether or not a local church has a counseling center is immaterial. Every local church is a counseling center, right? just depends on what kind of counsel you're offering. We don't have a choice on that score. We are a counseling center. We're a church. Colossians 2, 8 to 10 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Because you're united to Jesus. You have been filled in him who is head of all rule and authority. You say, well, I, I don't feel all that full of wisdom right now. To which I would reply, what are you waiting for? Go get it. Proverbs practically dares us at the beginning of this book. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. It's not hiding. Chapter 9 says she's standing like on a mountaintop, calling out. If you're simple, come. Come. She's not hiding. Go get wisdom. Give God your ears. Give others his words. Give yourself daily to the first two steps. See last week's sermon. Become a biblical counselor. But know this, we, we don't plan to lower the bar when we meet together. That's not the goal of the groups. We desire that all of our interactions with one another, especially in our community groups, be filled with three things, really. This cord of three strands. Truth speaking, love, and wisdom. Truth spoken in love and wisdom. Just around and around and around as we talk with one another. Preparing for the sermon this week, one essay in particular caught my eye. Uh, it's by a free church pastor. Yay. Born for the little guy. There's not a lot of like famous free church pastors, but this is one of them. His name is Brad Bigney. And in a wonderful chapter in a book called The Transformational Tie Between Small Group Ministry and Biblical Counseling, 
Brad Bigney says this. This is so good. Most churches today have not structured their ministries to get down into the nitty-gritty of people's lives. When personal problems begin to surface, they are overwhelmed and ill-equipped to respond in a loving, biblical way. Too many churches don't know how to give hope or help to real people who have opened up about the struggles that they're facing. Now, he says, if you're happy with superficial yak-and-snack groups, that's what he calls them, yak and snack, you know what he's saying, then don't worry about a biblical counseling ministry. Just make sure your leaders make it absolutely clear to everybody in their group, look, we're not here to dig into the real stuff of your lives. I know you're wrestling with it, but we're going to keep this safe. Let's just keep it superficial. Let's be superficial. Let's yak and snack here. I love that image because I love what it lampoons. The yak and snack small group. Here's what's crazy. The keep it safe approach is terribly dangerous, according to verse 14. Terribly dangerous. Why? Our text this morning tells us why. Where there's no guidance, a people falls. So don't wait for the wheels to fall off the wagon of your life. Make biblical counseling the bread and butter, the warp and woof of your life. Join a community group. Are you in one? We got room. There's an open chair in every group. That's, that's part of the policy here. And when it gets too full, we just start a new one. There's always room. So we're headed toward this 2020 vision together, and soul care is a huge part of the vision. Sunday morning gatherings are essential, but they're not enough. Therefore, the quality of the soul care in our groups matters greatly. To imagine you don't stand in need of biblical counseling, it's as foolish as it is dangerous. Second and final point today. We all need biblical counseling. And the more such counselors around us, the better. Don't be threatened by someone else getting some wisdom. It's going to benefit you. We all need biblical counseling. The more counselors around us, the better. So let's read the whole text now and see what the, the wisdom. This is my favorite sermon. It's not this, this. It's a really good way to preach because that's how the Bible does things. Not this, <laughs> this. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there's no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors is safety. So let's focus on the back half of that verse. In an abundance of counselors... There's safety. Uh, Notice here in these lines, we have something. This is a bone for the seminarians. It's called synonymous parallelism. Synonymous parallelism. Say, what is that? That's just a fancy way of talking about the same thing said twice. Or same thing said creatively two different ways. Happens in Hebrew poetry all the time. Guidance in this verse, runs parallel with counselors. And falls runs parallel with safety. Everybody see that? It's awesome. It's so easy to remember. That's important because it means that when we see the word for counselors here, we know that we're talking about wise guidance. 
We know we are, because we know the, gu- the guidance just before assumes wisdom. We've already established that wise guidance is what's in view in the first part of this verse. So, the one thing that's not being said is that, like, more input, regardless of the merits of the input, the better. That is not what this is saying. In fact, if there ever were an era in the history of the human race where we suffered from a lack of information, it surely wouldn't be our age. Right? We are drowning in data. Just a second. Hang on a second. Just. Sorry. Right. Let me just hang on a second. We are drowning in data. And most of it is dumb. It's very dumb. Do you read what people post on Facebook? I know I'm guilty. I'm on it a lot. You read what they post? I didn't get the video at the red box that we were hoping to get. And then nine people go, aww. And that's like the conversation for the night. And if you're not on Facebook, you ain't missing much. Trust me. And that goes for news sources. Most books. Remember books? (laughs) TV watching. It's mind-numbing silliness. We don't lack data. We're drowning in data. So when we read here in verse 14 that we ought to seek an abundance of counselors, just remember, wise guidance is what we're looking for. And it's like a needle in a haystack these days. But here's the thing. When you find one needle, that needle knows where the other needles are. So just hang with them, press into them, and learn how they got to be the way that they are. And all of a sudden you build a cloud of witnesses. Which is why I'm on Facebook. I'm trying to put a needle in the haystack every day. So at the end of the day, it ain't about a quantity of input. It's about a quality of input. Now suppose you do have access to quality counsel. Let's just say that you do. If you do have access to quality counsel... Imagine you could lay hold of excellent advice. How much of it should you try to get? Get all of it you can. Be very greedy. Yes, it's about quality before quantity, but what if you had a high concentration of quality? What then? What if you had a large quantity of quality? Wouldn't that be the best of all possible worlds? You know what it means for us? It means safety. That's what verse 14 says. Safety. Now, where there's no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. What does that mean? Well, one thing it certainly does not mean is a health, wealth, prosperity, ease, affluential life 
becomes yours because you're constantly avoiding risk and choosing the soft option. That's not what this means. Risk is right. Suffering is totally normal everywhere but America, and it's coming. The way to life is narrow and hard. I read that in the Sermon on the Mount. And how few find it. Have you found the way to life? Are you on the narrow road with Jesus? Get off the broad road, the wide, easy path that so many are on. And turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Did you do that 15 years ago? Are you doing it now? Choose Jesus. Not following Jesus isn't just dangerous, it's, it's foolish. And following Jesus isn't just about truth, it's wise. It's very, very wise to follow Jesus. He offers forgiveness full and free because he died for your sins and he was raised again on the third day. And if you turn from your sins and you put your faith in him, the risen Christ, you can know true safety. True safety. So what is safety in this context? Well, let's go to a dead guy. Charles Bridges, 1846, said this. The agreement of the multitude gives safety to our decision. And even their difference by giving both sides of the question enables us to ponder our path more safely. So when everyone's agreeing with each other, I just, you know, not for nothing, I just want a dissenting voice. Can I, can I hear somebody that doesn't agree with this? And then let them work it out in front of you and see where wisdom is. Does that make sense? If you get enough counsel coming at you, you'll begin to see that not everyone agrees with each other. And Bridges said, look, that, that's no problem because that's going to enable you to ponder your path more safely. However, if you begin to see people that you respect, wise people, over and over again, saying the same thing, pointing in this direction, you're probably headed in the right direction. That's wisdom. We need each other for that. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke notes that Proverbs never speaks of a single counselor. That's a little tidbit for you. Proverbs never speaks of a single solitary counselor, but an abundance of counselors who form a council. Think about your community groups like that. The council is meeting tonight. The round table of Totman is meeting tonight. And we're going to get some counsel. Do you have some counsel? Are you capable of lending a wise voice to such a group? Do you stand in need of such counsel? You say, well, how could I, how could I begin to bring something to the table and be a part of a council that way? Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So open your Bible. Meet with Jesus every day. Walk with him throughout your day. Fill your pockets full of manna every day. This is my manna. This is what I'm working on. 1 Kings 19, 12, and 18. 
That's my manna today. And this is what someone's going to get if they need some help today. But it's got an expiration date. And tomorrow morning I get a new one. Meet with Jesus every day. Take one thought with you throughout the day. Uh, John Piper once said, put scripture like a lozenge under the tongue of your soul and let it dissolve all day long. And just offer that to people. Especially people in your community group. I mean, can you fathom how much help and hope and truth and love could be spoken in our groups if we would come to them with counsel? Ready to be a part of a council? Because there's going to be a day when the straw breaks the camel's back and you come in, you just barely slip into group that night. And, and they're all going to be there with broad shoulders ready to hold you and hang on to you. So you want to be a part of that council, though. And you want to approach them expectantly to receive counsel. We're going to have to. So what are groups for? Well, I mean, you can read the literature on this, right? Groups are for mission. Uh, groups are for evangelism. Yep. Uh, groups, are, we do the lecture lab model in this church. So we have the lecture on Sunday morning, and then the labs are the groups throughout the week. Amen. Sermon-based groups, that's a good idea. It makes the church sticky. Uh, you can have friends. Um, you get to know people that way. That's all good stuff. Context for the one another's for sure. For sure. But also for counsel. At least for counsel. Are you in a group? If you're not, come and talk to me. If you're in a group and you're not sure if this is a great group, here's the problem. The grass is not greener in another group. The grass is greener where you water it. Amen? It's true. It's true. So be a part of the solution. Say, well, my group just, it just isn't working for me. Then are you working for the group? Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Are your knees on the ground every morning? Is your nose in your Bible? And are you going in looking to give help, not suck the one another's out of people, but offer them free of charge because you've been loved by Jesus? Join a group. Though our Sunday morning gatherings are essential, they're not enough. They're not even close to enough. Therefore, the quality of the soul care in our community groups matters greatly. To imagine that you don't stand in need of biblical counseling is as foolish as it is dangerous. We all need biblical counseling. And the more such counselors around us, the better. The more, the merrier, right? I feel that way about preachers and teachers in this church. I feel that 20 times as much about other counselors. Next week is our final sermon in this preaching series on biblical counseling. I hope that you won't want to miss it because next Sunday we're going to get a look at our vision for the Harbor Center for Biblical Counseling. Does that sound exciting? And not only that, but we are also going to, I am going to issue a charge to our assistant pastor, Seth Brickley, along the lines of 1 Timothy 4.12. And I'm going to issue a charge to this congregation along the lines of 1 Timothy 4.12 and the leadership that will be um, carrying on in the absence of your pastor for a sabbatical. So God is my witness. Our vision five years from now is to have a full-scale, staffed, and functioning center for biblical counseling serving the broader West Tonka area, operating underneath the authority of this local church. Amen. But... 
even if we never get there, if we just fall on our face toward that vision, we're still a counseling center as we head toward it. So the quality of the council then has a lot to do with the quality of the council right now. You won't want to miss next Sunday. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a patient congregation. And thank you for a, a group of people that wants to go deep as well as broad and wide. And I ask, Lord, that there would be a way that each of us could link into the, the uh, timeless wisdom of Proverbs eleven fourteen. For where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Give us safety. In Jesus' name. Amen.